Chris, welcome back to the Protectors Podcast, brother. It has been a while. I've missed talking to you. You know, we text here and there, we message here and there, but we actually haven't like seen each other and talked like this in a long time, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show, Jason. Yeah, you're right. It has been a while. It's been quite a while. I should really write down like the episode, the last one you're on, because it's probably been about a year, year and a half, maybe. You know, I think I was on your show one time with, um, I guess it was BC. Sanders oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and um, was it Brad Taylor? Maybe the author. I'm not sure. I can't. Remember oh yeah, I forgot we did that roundtable type thing. So that's uh, been that's been a but that's been a while. I think that was probably November, December of last year. I think anyway. Yeah, and for the audience that doesn't know, Chris is former New York Police Department, former contracted overseas, all sorts of great thing, and he also has an excellent book, Brooklyn and Baghdad. I love it. On my shelf, and if you look at Chris, if you're looking at this, you can see right behind his shoulder. I would highly recommend picking that book up. And then uh, let's jump into this, man. Let's talk about one thing I do want to talk about today is leadership. You know, you and I have been around the block a few times here and there when it comes to like law enforcement leadership. And you know, you have the goods and you have the bads. And you know, leadership doesn't have to be at the senior level. It doesn't even have. You don't even have to have bars or stripes. You can still be a leader. Now, it's tougher to be a leader today than it was, I think, back in our day or back in, you know, when you were on the police department. So what do you think, man? Well, I think the police are suffering from morale issues and they're definitely suffering from retention. I mean, there was a, an article in the New York Post just the other day that was talking about record numbers of people uh, leaving. And I think that at this point in time, I think uh, they're up to 1,500 and something uh, and we're only uh, six, six and a half months in, into the year. Um, that's almost as much, if not more, than the whole year before. So when you talk about leadership, which is very relevant, um, you know, you're losing a lot of institutional knowledge. You're losing a lot of uh, mentorship from, from people. And um, I don't blame these people for leaving. Look, I punched out at 20. Um, and I'm very blessed that I get a pension. But I, I look at it also from these other uh, people's perspective, whether you're in leadership or you're just a, a B cop, um, you, you, know, you might as well, as the expression says, get while the getting's good, get while you can get a pension because it doesn't seem to be getting better. And getting back to your point about leadership, uh, there is no leadership in the NYPD. Uh, when I, when I, when I say there's no leadership, I'm not talking about the rank and file leadership. I'm talking about the upper echelons, the new police commissioner, the new mayor, um, the cops are getting, getting beat down on a daily basis. Brother, you hit the nail on the head right now because I'm a Fed. I'm an 1811 criminal investigator, and that's a it's an interesting series because they have criminal investigators in pretty much any agency. FBI's are considered 1811s, ATF, DEA, all the big three letter agencies, and also every small agency you can imagine has 1811s. And right now, across the board, we are hemorrhaging bodies. We're hemorrhaging employees at, at least at the senior levels. You're still trying to get people that are get their foot in the door. But if they get their foot in the door in one of these agencies and they don't like it, they have a lot more opportunity to get out and find another job somewhere else as far as the federal government goes. And the thing is, at the top, that is where it's at. At the top, the, it, it's not a trickle up. We're not here to make leadership feel great about themselves. 
it has to trickle down. They have to actually care about the staffing and care about the hemorrhaging troops. Because after a while, when you said it right there, systematic knowledge, having knowledge of being on a street. You know, I've been in 1811 for almost 23 years now. I've been in several different agencies. I've been in different series, 1801, 1896. The thing is, I have to learn everywhere I go. I'm continuously learning. And that's 20 something years later. You get someone like me or anybody else, senior, five, six, 10 years on a job, and they leave, they go somewhere else, you're losing all that knowledge. You can't just say, because someone has a badge, that they're all created equal, because they have to gain that knowledge. How are you going to put bad guys in jail and bad girls in jail if you don't know how to do it? How are you going to be an effective community member policing? I'm, I'm not going to use the word community policing, but policing in these communities if you don't have just a basic knowledge of the people you're working with. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, and again, it's, it's, uh, it's sad to see. Uh, my son just recently graduated out of Old Dominion University with a uh, bachelor's degree in uh, criminal justice. And I'm not, listen, if my son wanted to be a, a, a baker, I would support him if that's what he truly wants to do in life. But he's asked me about law enforcement, and I, I tell him the truth because he's my son, and I love my son. And I want what's best for him. And right now, I don't think law enforcement is, is the best career path. And it hurts me to say that because I had an amazing career and I was surrounded by amazing people that I still talk to to this day uh, from the NYPD. I'm up in New York at least three or four times a year, if not more, uh, if I have an opportunity to go and meet with my friends and have a nice meal and a nice drink. Um, but it hurts to say that. And, and, the, and the tone and the tenor from my friends who still live in New York City uh, some in Brooklyn, some in Staten Island, is the same. And, you know, we're heartbroken by it. And we feel for these people, you know, let's let's be honest, Jason. If you have 10 years invested in something, you're kind of like really at a crossroads in your life. I mean, do you want to stay? Because 10 more years you could get a pension, which is worth a million dollars, literally. Or do you want to just say, I quit and move on to a totally different career or maybe a different agency that might accept your seniority, but probably not your pension. You know, you probably have to start over again in terms of winding the clock back. So it, it's really, it's really a bad situation nationally, not just in New York, nationally. You know, there's a couple things I want to talk about right there. It's like when it comes to the pension, like I have a buddy in California and I'm not recommending anybody go to California to become a policeman. <laughs> it's probably not a great place, but he started off in the national city which is right out of San Diego. It's right in San, basically inside San Diego. And then he was able to move to other locations within the state because the pension transfers. So when you're jumping into these quote unquote careers, <clears throat> excuse me. Now look at it this way. Maybe treat policing as something different. Like, you know, I was first in the military in the nineties, you know, I enlisted active duty. I did my tour and I got out, went to college, maybe treat policing like a four to five year job. It's something, and it's almost like the military. You go, you do your service, you see how you like it. Our generation has always looked at it as kind of like a career. Like if you get into policing, you are going to be a cop and you're going to die being a cop. There's no in between, but maybe treat it like a tour. Yeah, listen, that's an interesting concept. And I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it, but it, it, it might be worth exploring. Again, as, as I said earlier, and I think what you're trying to say now is if you could take that time with you, uh, I think it would make it more attractive. And uh, I think that's a very interesting idea. 
and a concept that, that probably is worth exploring even more because you want to attract people. And again, you know, what, like I said, when you get to the 10 year mark, I know some departments require 25 years or there's other rules where you got to be 55 plus 20. I, I don't want to get involved and in I'm just going to talk about what I know. You know, when you get to that mark, you have to make a decision. If you're not at that mark, I think the decision is easier to make because you can you can walk away from it. And hopefully, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a young enough person, man or woman, to, to make that decision to lateral to a nicer city like Florida or a nicer state uh, like Florida, like Texas, uh, like uh, some other many other cities other than some of the cities that were are currently experiencing all the problems like New York, Philadelphia and Chicago. Well, look at it this way, too, is maybe before you take these jobs hey, you can interview all day long, you can get the letter that says, hey, you know, you've been accepted, you can take it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe for one, find out what the morale is there. Talk to people on the street. Don't talk to don't talk to anybody with stars and bars. Talk to people on the street and say, hey, you know what? Can I do a ride along? And when you, if you do do a ride along, make sure it's not with like an FTO or someone's going to like, you know, a recruiter or anything else like that. But find out what you're getting yourself into. You might want to just that, you know, I tell you, we both know what it's like to get that badge and gun for the first time. And you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. I don't care where it's at, what it's at. Southwest border, send me, you know, inner city, send me, do this, do that. But maybe nowadays when they need so much staffing, look for an agency, department, small or big, that you want to kind of check out. Yeah, no, I think that's a very, very valid point. And I think it's, it's kind of like when you're buying a home, you know, you want to explore what, what is the neighborhood? Like if you have children, what are the schools like? If you're a senior citizen, what's the, uh, you know, the hospital situation and medical care and on and on and on. And I think that is a great idea. I, one of the things I've been saying to my son, because he seems to be interested in the fire service, he's actually a volunteer fireman here locally, and he's taken some pretty heavy duty tests that were, uh, I'm sure I couldn't pass them if I had to take them myself. There were a lot of studying, a lot of schoolwork a lot of practical uh, uh, application and academics. And I say to him, you know, if, if this is what you want to do again, like I said before about being a baker, I'll support you. But one suggestion I would make is that go to a bigger department versus a small department. And why do I say that? Because there's more opportunity in a bigger department. For example, we live in Virginia, Virginia Beach. Uh, if he was involved in the fire service there, you know, they might have something that's involved with maritime and, and boats and things like that. They might have people that are um, trained in like swift water rescue and other things like that. So whereas you're in a small department and you're kind of landlocked, maybe those same opportunities don't exist. Maybe the turnover and attrition is much slower. So your ability to move up and say a 200 man department is predicated really on people either getting promoted or, or retiring. So that's why I say, you know, if that's something that he wants to do, that he should choose a bigger department versus a smaller department. Well, when you jump into that, you get the specialized units. Look how much it's done for you in your career, in your post-career. If you didn't start in a big department and you didn't kind of like cut your teeth on it and get into the terrorist world, would you really have these these opportunities later on to, one, write book, two, be an expert, three, get to travel overseas to beautiful countries? I mean, it does open up a lot of opportunities for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, you know, the NYPD, I mean, pick something that you've seen in a movie or read in a book, that that opportunity is is available. You may not get it immediately. Obviously, you have to put in your time and, and, and make your bones. But it is it is a land of opportunity in terms of 
what do you want to be? Do you want to be involved in crime scene? Do you want to be a homicide investigator? Do you want to be involved in scuba and emergency service unit? Do you want to be a pilot in the aviation unit? There's so many different things that you can do. But, you know, it's funny about you mentioned, you know, the opportunities. Had 9-11 not happened, uh, I one, no one, they would not be looking for me to go into the intelligence division because I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And I admit that on a regular basis and with all sincerity. But having said that, sometimes change, although we, we don't want it, is a really good thing. Because otherwise, if they didn't push me to go in there, I was very comfortable where I was. I was working in narcotics. I had a great team of people I loved. I had more laughs every day going to work with my crew than I could ever, ever have anywhere else. And I didn't want to leave that. But the situation presented itself and the CEO of the of the of, of the precinct had asked me and it turned out to be one of the best decisions I almost didn't make because it opened up, as you say, a whole different world. And I wouldn't have written a book. I wouldn't have gone overseas. There's a whole bunch of different things in my life that more than likely would not have happened. Absolutely. And who doesn't love working dope, man? I tell you, that's like the best part of my career is that time I got to work dope in the Southwest border. It's the camaraderie and it's the, it's the op tempo. And, you know, you go to a smaller agency, a smaller uh, department, it's going to be tough to get onto these specialized units. And there's a lot of different things going on there as far as morale. The other thing I want to jump into, too, is, you know, reserves. Maybe get your feet wet. Maybe if you're in college, you look for a local department to say, hey, you know what? I don't necessarily have to be an armed reserve. I could be you could be any type of reserves or volunteer. And jump into that category. I mean, it's it's another idea. It kind of gives you an idea of what's going on out there, other than what you're seeing on TV and the news. Well, you know that it's it's good that you bring that up because I would I would not have thought of it. Uh, within the NYPD, they have what they call an Explorer program, and I would imagine a lot of other departments, uh, depending on their size and, and yeah. whatnot, have something very similar. So they have um, uh, I, they're not kids, clearly, the young men and women, but you know they're fresh out of high school. And basically what they do is they work as a volunteer within the precinct and do things like ride-alongs and they do things like run the jails and clerical and other administrative things. But in exchange, they get full ride to college. Uh, so, I mean, so that's something that the NYPD has had for a very long time. And that's helped out a lot of people because now you're graduating. And as you say, you have more of an awareness of what you're getting yourself involved in. Um, and, you're, and your schooling is out of the way. Your college, your, your bachelor's anyway, is out of the way. I do think that they they require a commitment from you, uh, and so don't quote me on this, but I believe there is a commitment in exchange for getting the, the college uh, to actually, uh, you know, serving some time, you know, within the police department. I don't know if it's four years or five. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's usually some sort of requirement or some sort of commitment. I, th I think it's a great idea. Try different things. You and I, I keep saying you and I because we're, you know, we're not crazy difference in age and you know, coming from the East Coast, it's like one of these things where it's inner water, like in New Jersey, where like if you drink it too long, you're going to want to be a cop, a cop or, you know, criminal or something, or maybe a combination of both. But there's something in the water there. And it's like you have to start thinking about policing as a different thing and get one thing is don't go in there with a us against them mentality. Don't go in there with that. I'm going to be the broken animal that's going to go out there and I'm going to police the streets and it's going to be the best thing ever. And you know, they're going to give me like an M4 and a pistol and all this other great things. Don't look at it as badge and gun. Look at it as like policing, serving and protecting community. 
get an idea of these communities you're going to go work in. If you're going to go work in the inner city and you're from the country, maybe kind of get an idea what the inner city is really like. Yeah, no, I agree with you hundred percent. And, and, and to be fair, uh, there's a maturation process, especially, you know, if, as you say, not inner city, you come from the suburbs. I came from the suburbs uh, and I came from a town that was, it was a pretty nice town as towns go. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. It was a little bit, you know, of, of learning, you know, different lifestyles. Again, I did four years in the Marine Corps. So that was a, a, an eye opener in, in and of itself. Um, but I definitely had some communication issues initially because, you know, I was used to the Marine Corps and I was used to people doing what I, they were told to do because I always did what I was told to do. So, um, but, you know, as I, as I went on in my career, I learned that, you know, softer skills and communication skills and listening skills are a huge part. Uh, and a little bit of empathy and sympathy goes a long way, too, for, for somebody that you're interacting with. So uh, but that doesn't happen overnight. And again, if you've got a crummy mentor and the mentor is that guy, meaning the guy that's heavy handed, the guy that's, uh, you know, unsympathetic and, and on and on. Um, that's who you learn from. And that's probably the, some of the habits that could be bad that you pick up and, and adopt. Into yeah. your, your, <laughs> Chris, your you, hit the, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Coming from from the service is you're so used to if someone tells you something, you do it. And when you put the another type of uniform on, you're used to saying, okay, I have some sort of semblance, I'm in charge. But really, you're not. You know, you could tell people to do something. Are they going to listen to you? I think it depends on how you approach them. And if you don't have those soft skills, people skills, you know, there really should be like a whole week's, like instead of language training in a lot of these places, let's do simple people skills. Simple English to English you know, English to people who don't have English, because you're going to run into a lot of different cultures out there. And it's look at look at New York City. When you drive from one block to the next, you could have a million different cultures. And, you know, me growing up in like small town, New Jersey, and I go to the southwest border. I didn't know anything about that culture. So, yeah, get your cultural geography down, get your cultural anything down, learn. Yeah. And, spend, and like you say, spend time with people again. I was always in a hurry. You know, I, I was aggressive uh, by nature. Um, I had been a street cop for 13 years. So I was comfortable in the street and um, I, I liked arresting people. I was enjoying that. I enjoyed that, that part of it. But I guess as a getting back to the communication and listening, I was horrible at that. Um, you know, I would oftentimes have somebody in the jail cell and they were willing to give me, you know, the, the cocaine ferry, uh, you know, the, the trunk, the, the warehouse full of drugs and guns. And I would just really be so dismissive of that person and say, listen, I'm, I'm a little bit busy with paperwork. If you have to use the bathroom or you're hungry, let me know. Other than that, I'm just not interested. So fast forward, you know, I did start to hang around with people that did it a different way, showed me a better way, and I got better at it. And once I learned that, and, you know, I was a little bit hard-headed. I, I, I wholly admit that to myself. Um, the whole world changed. My whole universe changed in the NYPD. Look about when you went overseas and the way you talk to different people and the way you elicit information is so much different than it is when you're first putting on a uniform and first talking to people. There's so many ways to get information and elicit without being heavy handed or without being, you know, hard charging. It's just a different way. It's almost like compassion. Remember that word compassion. And I don't know why it takes us so long to come to come to terms with like, 
99.9% of us are super compassion, compassionate. And that's why we get into law enforcement. Yeah, no, it's, it, listen, I'm sure there's people and with exception that are going in there for the wrong reasons. We have to, you know, acknowledge that, but I'd say probably 95% of the people, if not greater are going in there because they have a servant's heart. They want to help people. They want to help people at their worst moment in life. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, some of the things that, are, that involve children is is absolutely gut-wrenching. And it leaves a mark on you, meaning the officer, man or woman. And you don't just turn that off. You think about that because you try, you, you have, as you say, the sympathy and the empathy. And you, if you have children yourself, you say to yourself, oh, my God, how, how would I go on in life if this kind of trauma happened to one of my children? It's It's hard to imagine. So putting the arm around somebody, holding their hand, giving them a cup of water, ordinary things that we just seem to like vapor lock and forget about when we're at, at that particular moment, that has to kick in. That has to be ever present when you're dealing with a situation as sensitive as that. On top of that is you mentioned family and kids and everything. The job becomes your life, but don't make it your identity. When you, when you clock out, you have the family spend time with your family, spend time with your friends. Your whole ecosystem doesn't have to be policing. You can have friends, you can have civilian friends. And this was, this, this was always tough for me in the beginning, uh, especially even when I was active duty military was having people who are not military friends. And then when you get into, when you get on a job, having people that aren't in law enforcement, listen, everybody else is dealing with their own issues. They all know what heartache is. They all know what uh, compassion is. They all know everything that you're going through just at a different level. Make friends outside of the job and don't make the job your complete identity. No, I think that's very good advice and uh, easy, easier said than done sometimes. You know, yep. and I, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this before when you're at a big uh, family gathering like Thanksgiving or an anniversary or a birthday party, and now politics comes out, uh, or it comes out about a subject that's your ex- area of expertise, whether it's military or law enforcement as a border agent, and you really have to bite hard on your tongue because you don't want to alienate yourself from this whole group of people because it's easy to do when you say you don't know what the hell you're talking about, and let me see, and here's why one two three and four. So you know. I was just recently at a situation like that and uh, it it involved, unfortunately, one of these mass shootings and, you know, guns and second amendment issues and things like that. And I literally just picked myself up and walked over and started talking to my niece uh, about a totally different subject because I was, I'm not going, I said to myself, I'm not going to win this argument and I'm not going down this road. And it was a nice event. And actually my niece just gave birth to her her second child. She had a little boy named uh, Pasquale. So, uh, it was great to see her just before she had the baby. And it's going to be great to see her very soon after. So, Isn't that great being mature? Like when you hear the religion <laughs> or politics come up, you're just like, oh, what's that over there? And you're, you're like, okay. <laughs> well, let's be, let, I got to be honest, Jason. That, that was a long time coming for me. I, I'd be honest with you. I've, mm-hmm. I would drop down and have a, an argument, generally speaking, from a conservative bent, from a law enforcement bent, military bent. And, uh, and there was no convincing me otherwise. I wasn't willing to listen other people's uh, points of view. And, um, and that's, that took a long time. I think it's changed since more because of my children, number one, and also because I'm not so closely involved in, in the, in the military or law enforcement directly anymore. 
You know, that kind of transitions us into our last topic today, which is getting on the news, talking about the news, being a law enforcement, quote unquote, expert, speaking to the facts and not to, you know, getting pulled into these rhetoric arguments. And I've noticed, like, you know, since last time you came on, you've been jumping on TV and I love seeing you on TV. It's great. I say anybody out there who wants to get on TV, you can do it. There are certain methods and techniques. I get a hold of friends and family and LinkedIn and everything and just start picking on producers. But yeah, man, it's great seeing you on TV. And what was that like going on? It's like, you know, the big screen, you know, you've been on podcasts, you've been on here, but getting onto that mainstream media must've been a really good, great experience. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. I, I will tell you, um, I've been very blessed to have a nice relationship with Newsmax. Um, I think they bring me on because they know I'm just going to tell the truth about how I genuinely feel. I'm not interested and making people feel warm and fuzzy. I'm not deliberately going out of my way to be controversial or confrontational, but I think they understand, they know if they bring me on, I one, I know what I'm talking about, uh, whether it's about policing or whether it's about uh, something involving uh, explosives or the Iraq war. And, um, but, you know, getting there live and actually being in the studio, I think we were talking about this before we came on the show a little bit. The energy level is so different. And it's so, uh, listen, I sat in the makeup chair. I mean, you know, that's how how far they go. To, and it, it, believe me, if they can make this face look good, you know, I'm. it's a miracle, really. But everybody at Newsmax is a saint. They are such wonderful, warm people. Uh, and I'm sure it's not unique to me. I'm sure they treat everybody like that. But, you know, getting back to your point, going on the show, um, I had been on the show several times. That was the first time I was actually in studio and the, 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 the crazy part about it, and I'll, I'll share this with you and your audiences, it was on uh, Memorial Day and I was talking about my friend Matt, who, in, as you know, in my book, Broken the Baghdad, the book is in memory of Matt Pacino, who was an amazing special forces operator that was part of our team, the Phoenix team. So fast forward, my wife and I are driving home and um, we, we had Newsmax on the app. My wife was playing it through the stereo, through the car. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel and Congressman Michael Waltz came on and he started dropping Matt Pacino's name. And he said, you know, what what do you think about on Memorial Day? And he said, well, I think about my friend Staff Sergeant Matt Pacino, who was killed over in Afghanistan. I had no awareness that uh, Congressman Waltz was his commanding officer. Um, fast forward, I reached out to his staff and um, I've got a scheduled phone call uh, very soon with him uh, to talk about Matt and things that we can do to help Matt and his uh, foundation staff started Matt Pacino Foundation. So it's it, it was just like it was almost like it was meant to be, and, and that there was a there was a God wink involved in that whole arrangement. Because I I don't have Newsmax on my phone, my wife has it on my phone, and what are the odds of me talking about Matt and then Congressman Michael Waltz talking about him on the very same day hours later? Talk about like small world and like these coincidences in this thing. It's like. It's really cool and, and getting out of there and now having the opportunity to maybe help out with like some sort of bill legislation or even recognition. Don't hesitate to contact people. That's my other word of advice today. I like talking to you because we could just throw out some advice and stuff. Don't hesitate to reach out. Look, you reached out. Um, if anybody ever wants to reach out to their politician, like local level or anything, or if they want to reach out to anybody, just do it. Don't hesitate. I mean, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have to tell you, uh, Congressman Waltz's uh, staff, one of the 
uh, girls I spoke, well, two people I spoke to, a fellow by the name of Joe and another girl by the name of Kelsey. Um, they rolled out the red carpet for me as well, uh, called me back, uh, emailed me, texted me, uh, sent me uh, text messages with pictures of Matt. You know, just funny little anecdotal stuff, you know. Um, so I was very I was very humbled by that. And, you know, and it was sincere. Uh, another thing. So there's people that work in his office. And I would imagine just about anybody uh, who has staff, you know, you're not going to pick somebody that's not going to be warm and friendly and helpful. But the way they made me feel and their willingness to listen to me, some of the phone conversations lasted over 30 minutes. So it's not like they were, yeah, well, give me your phone number and your email and I'll have somebody get back to you. It wasn't like that at all. So I'm humbled by that and I'm heartened by that, uh, th that, you know, this conversation is going to happen. Hopefully, you know, good things will happen as a result of it. It's just all about taking that step, brother. And I, I love what you're doing, man. Everybody, if you haven't checked out Chris's book, Brooklyn of Baghdad, please do. It's available on Amazon. It's available all over the place. Check it out. It's absolutely worth the read. And Chris has some good things going on. Really do, brother. Yeah, thanks. I, I really appreciate it, Jason. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Now we got to start doing some more roundtables and get some discussions yeah. going on. <laughs> absolutely. I love doing a roundtable. I'm in. I'm in, brother. I'm in. Well, Chris, I appreciate you joining the show again, and you are definitely coming on again soon. And when you're in D.C., you got to stop by. And we'll, I almost said something like storm the Capitol. No, we're going to go to the Capitol <laughs> and say hi to people right. and have sit-down meetings and stuff like that. Because people, believe me, if you call your uh, constituent services to your local, I mean, not your local, you, whoever your representative or senator is, a lot 99% of the time you're going to get a human and you're not going to get a voicemail. So do give them a call. Chris, thank you, brother. Thank you again, Jason. It was a pleasure.